everyone. Welcome to Making Room on the Pew, a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts. This is a podcast for the church misfits and outcasts, the people the gatekeepers of the faith love to keep out. Here we talk about building a fully inclusive church with the people who are actually out there in the world doing the work. Join us to learn more about experiences and perspectives different from your own while we create the church we are all longing for. Today on the podcast, we have BT Harmon. BT spent most of his life as Brett Trapp before getting married and taking his husband Brett's last name. BT is a freelance consultant, a writer, and a speaker. He spent over a decade in corporate America before leaving to pursue his talents and passions in a new way. BT is also the creator of Blue Baby's Pink, a Southern coming out story, which chronicles his story of realizing his sexuality and coming out as a pastor's kid in the Deep South. Over 100,000 people have read Blue Baby's Pink, and there's no question why. It's witty and kind and tear-jerking in the very best way. After launching Blue Babies Pink and hearing thousands of responses from the LGBTQ community and people who have loved ones who identify as queer, BT switched gears to focus more on the parents of LGBTQ kids and primarily Christian parents. Last year, he launched Harbor, an online support program for Christian parents of LGBT kids, where he offers support through online workshops and other resources, as well as a community component. I love what he's doing with this program, and we are absolutely going to talk about that today. BT writes on his website, brettharmon.com, that the quote-unquote normal activities of life have mostly evaded him and that he feels like a walking bundle of contradictions, which I absolutely love. I have long described my Enneagram for self as a giant paradox, so I totally relate to that sentiment. On that note, BT describes himself as an introvert who loves people, a creative who loves leadership, and a small town kid who loves big city life. He's at home in both a Cracker Barrel and a cocktail bar. He loves college football and show tunes. And some people think he's too liberal, while others consider him too conservative. So it sounds like, whoever you are, there will be something for you in this interview today. So join me in welcoming to the Making Room on the Pew podcast, B.T. Harmon. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Oh, me too. Okay, so we are actually just going to um, go ahead and hop right in. So I um, gave you a little introduction at the top of the show before we started recording, but I would like to give you the um, space to tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your work, um, anything you would like people who maybe haven't connected with you before, um, who's listening on the show. 
Thanks, Bailey. Well, my name is BT Harmon, formerly known as Brett Trapp. I went through a name change in 2018 after my uh, after my marriage. But yeah, I live in Atlanta, Georgia. I've been here for almost a decade. I grew up in a little town in North Alabama called Florence. And uh, the youngest of three sons grew up in a great Christian family. Uh, my dad was a Southern Baptist pastor. Uh, like I said, I had two older brothers, Brady and Brian, and uh, went to a small Christian school there. Ended up going to college in the same town that I grew up in, the University of North Alabama. Graduated from there in 2005. And then I jumped on board with a small startup based out of, uh, at that time, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Sort of split between Birmingham and Atlanta. And uh, that company did elementary school fundraising, which was a little bit different. I didn't plan on doing anything like that. I was an English major in college. So um, if you've been an English major, then you... You, you jump at most offers of employment right out of school. So that uh, was sort of one of the things that came around, but ended up being one of the best decisions of my life. And I uh, worked for that organization doing school fundraising for about 12 years. And then in 2016, I uh, went out on my own as a, as a freelance creative strategist. So now, professionally, I work with small brands and individuals and really help them sort of fine-tune their story and help their story connect with the world, whether that's in a business context um, or maybe even a personal story. Awesome. Um, so you are from Alabama, and I am from Ohio, and I went to Ohio State. So I am just going to overlook the fact that I have been trained to hate Alabama <laughs> in all things. I will just yeah. overlook that and we'll move forward. <laughs> I know, I know. Ohio people have no love for uh, Alabama, mostly due to our football success. So yeah, I'm just going to call that out for being maybe a little bit of jealousy, but you know, it is what it is. We Alabama folks are, we're humble people. We're proud of our football though. <laughs> all right. Um, so I was introduced to you uh, first, probably like a lot of other people through Blue Baby's Pink, a Southern coming out story. Um, so for those of you who don't know, it's a blog and a podcast chronicling um, your journey of realizing that you're gay and coming out as a pastor's kid in the South. Um, I am such a fan of that. I am not sure how I came across Blue Baby's Pink, um, but around the time it launched, I was working as a nurse's aide in um, a hospital which meant I was pretty regularly like pulled from doing um, real like nurses aid work into <laughs> just sitting with patients yeah. who um, maybe had dementia or who were on suicide watch um, and just sitting with patients all day. And so when the patient slept, which typically was most of the day, I would read Blue Baby's Pink on the computer. <laughs> um, nice. <laughs> right. So um I, I love this story. Um, I went through it super quick. I think it took me like three shifts and I was done. Um, but the story starts with you writing about how like you didn't particularly want to be gay. Like you never really asked about it or asked for it. Um, and, and you talk about some hurtful things you heard said about gay people growing up, growing up. Um, but you, you didn't want to forget that time. Um, so you began keeping this journal, which ultimately became the framework for Blue Baby's Pink. Correct. And I want to, right. So I, I want to talk a little bit about that time. I think we, um, 
in the queer community tend to kind of run through um, the tough, the lonely times. Like we kind of rush through that just so we can get to like, but look at us now, we're on the other side. And, um, and, and it's amazing now if you can get through that. And I think that that's really a disservice to those people who are still working through that time in their own lives. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about um, your experience of, of that time of just kind of like realizing your sexuality and then beginning to keep that journal. Yeah, so, you know, I grew up in a small town in Alabama, the Southern Baptist preacher's son. Um, you know, if anybody should not have been gay, to be honest, it should have been me, you know, and obviously <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of joking, but, you know, just nothing in my world was gay. I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Uh, homosexuality was this very distant, bizarre, out there thing that, you know, you just saw on TV every now and then. No one talked about it. It was extremely taboo. And so, you know, I certainly never wanted to be gay. That was, to be honest, the last thing that I wanted. And, you know, it really was, uh, you know, high school, early college was when I really began to sort of figure out and accept the dreadful truth that I was, what I, term I used at the time was same-sex attracted. And so, you know, in high school, I just wasn't interested in girls, um, went to a very tiny Christian school. So I certainly wasn't dating boys or showing interest in boys. I was um, at that time had just become a, a, a Christian, uh, sort of met uh, Jesus when I was 14 at a charismatic revival and really began to kind of grow in my faith all through high school. And so I really kind of, though I sensed that something, quote unquote, was wrong with me, uh, you know, I just thought God will fix this. You know, if I pray enough, go to church, listen to the right things, then, uh, you know, God will, will take this away and he will make me straight. And so uh, that belief really persisted into my 20s. And, you know, it really was kind of my mid-20s, maybe 23, 24, where I realized that, holy smokes, like, this might not go away. You know, like, maybe this is permanent and maybe I am a gay person, you know, and I just resisted that and fought that feeling and that thought for so long. And that really ushered in really just a, a lot of, a lot of dread for lack of a better term, a lot of fear, a lot of shame, a lot of, of panic, because at this time I had no one to talk to. It was just in me, me in my head, which, you know, when we get stuck in our heads, that's sometimes is the birthplace of a lot of bad thoughts. And so, uh, so really it was 2007 when I was about 26 years old, when I had this idea of, you know, Brett, you need to start recording these experiences and these thoughts. And maybe that was just my mind. Maybe that was God. Who knows? But I definitely had this sense of you need to start you need to start recording the thoughts that you have, the experiences you have, the things that you hear. And potentially one day you need to tell that story. And so for the next 10 years, that's exactly what I did. Every time I would see something, hear something, think something about that topic, I would pull out my phone and make a little note and over the course of a decade, that note grew to be about 25,000 words of just sort of free-flowing thoughts, you know, no, no grammar, no punctuation, just me sort of typing my feelings. And that really became uh, essentially the source document for the story that became Blue Baby's Pink. So once I began publishing Blue Baby's Pink as a daily blog in 2016, I was using that note as sort of a guide because I didn't want to forget, you know. I didn't want to forget those dark moments and some people do and they don't want to record them and they want to forget them as quickly as possible. But for me, as sort of a creative person, a pensive person, I thought there was value in remembering those things because we really, we forget humans, just our memories are not that strong and we, we forget everything unless we write it down. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like that. I also am a person who I like to keep um, track of things, even the bad things. Like, I just like for it to all be out there. And honestly, right. like, I think it's, it's a really healthy um, thing. And in this case, it became Blue Baby's Pink, um, which I just think is so cool. Um, but let's kind of fast forward here to when you began to organize your thoughts into Blue Baby's Pink. Um, why? I mean, why take all the time and the energy and the risk of putting out your most uh, private, probably very tender thoughts, or thoughts, I'm sorry, uh, for the whole world to read? Well, when you were closeted as long as I was, you know, you have a lot of time to think. (laughs) So, you know, I had about 15 years to think through, you know, my response to this, how this was going to play out, though I certainly had no idea where the story would go or my life would go. Um, And what I observed was this, Bailey, I, I observed that when people came out, whether it was to friends or in a public way on, you know, Facebook, it's always very emotional for everybody as it should be. You know, it's just, it's an emotional thing. Oftentimes there is a sense of anger that's infused into that. And it can sort of times, you know, sometimes be sort of short and to the point. And in my my view, it leaves people with a lot of questions and listen, I'm not judging, Uh, you know, people can come out however they want on their own terms. I'm a fan of that. And so I don't judge anybody for how they come out. But for me, what I wanted to do was I wanted to come out, tell my community and those I grew up with and those back in Alabama that I was gay, but then I wanted to invite them in sort of to all those years because, you know, for the person reading that, this is just a one-time announcement. But for me, this is literally the culmination of a, of a 15 or 20 year long story. And so I just wanted to kind of invite people and say, Hey, here's the deal. I am gay. And every day for the next 44 days, I'm going to be writing about it. And if you want to follow along and read what I have to say, I said, I'm going to go back to childhood and I'm going to bring you all the way up to almost the present day. So if you want to join me on that journey, you're welcome to come. And, you know, I said early on, if, if one person reads this great, if a hundred read it, if a thousand read it, if nobody reads it, it's fine with me because the point was never for this thing to be some large, you know, full scale publication. It was really just for my own healing, you know, closeted people carry just so much burden and weight on their shoulders. And a lot of that comes from the secrecy aspect. And so for me, part of my healing was to do the opposite of hiding it and to literally just sort of shout it, you know, from, from the rooftops and let the world know um, for my own healing and for my own, uh, you know, deliverance from, from that fear. So that's what I did. And to be honest, I have no regrets and I just love it. And I feel so much freer and, you know, happier to be honest than I did back then. Yeah, um, I like that idea of kind of inviting um, people into your story. Um, So when I came out when I was 16, and I remember, I mean, like, I'm 16, I'm immature, I'm emotional. And I remember being so angry at people for not understanding it. Right. And one of my friends looked at me one day and she said, Bailey, you have had however many years, or you've had your whole life to know this. You have given right. your parents two days. Yeah, like, right. you, you have to like, let them like, figure them, like figure this out for themselves. And um, so I, I love that of, you know, you kind of just told your whole story and said, you know, let me tell you the whole thing first. 
Um, and I think that really shows a lot of grace to those people that you were um, inviting in. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Bailey, you know, probably this from experience, there's kind of three types of people in this when you come out, you know, there's like those who are rah, rah, go you rainbow flag, you do you, you know, then you've got those that are, uh, you know, if you grew up in a Christian or conservative context, those who are opposed or antagonistic or who are against you. But then there's kind of this middle group of people who don't really know what they believe or they're unsure, but they're but they're decent people who are willing to listen. And so for me, that's what this was about was you know what, I'm not really worried about those who are against me or hate me or think that I'm going to hell. I don't really worry about them. I would, but I am, and I do want to speak to those people who are willing to listen. And that's really what that whole Blue Babies Pink saga was about, was just allowing those who wanted to listen to lean in and listen. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit about the church. Um I think for people in the LGBTQ community, um, even people who grew up in the church, I mean, I grew up going to church three times a week for my entire life. Um, But once you have this experience of kind of being on the fringes, I think that really changes things for a lot of people. Um, I'm wondering if your relationship with the church um, changed at all, you know, what, what it was like before you came out, what it was like after you came out or, or if it didn't change at all, maybe it didn't. Well, it definitely has changed dramatically. I would say it's sort of been a very slow incremental change, um, because I've sort of gone through phases where, you know, in the early part of my life, high school into college, I was just totally involved with all things related to the church, church, activities and church trips and youth group and college. And then it kind of became college ministries and being involved with that, you know, parachurch kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And so, you know, I was all in. And in some ways I was, you know, kind of the poster child for a lot of that stuff because, you know, I, I am I am a leader. I was a leader. I enjoy kind of being out front. And so, you know, with that came a lot of, uh, you know, I would say pride for lack of a better term, which is not, not, a, not something that's good. But like, you know, I was proud of the fact that I was able to be involved in those things. Uh, you know, and then the, my 20s said I graduated college, I began to process through my sexuality. And I think that was, you know, the beginning of a lot of questioning with God of God, you know, why did you allow this to happen? I've done everything I can over the last you know, 10 years to honor you, pursue you, love you. Why won't you take this thing away from me? Um, and so that was that kind of a questioning season. And then, of course, everything changed once I kind of fully came out in 2016, you know, that changed again, because there is a percentage of the church who, you know, they are incredibly weirded out by non-straight people. You know, the -hmm. concept of homosexuality is off-putting to them. Uh, You know, to be honest, many of people are disgusted by gay people. That's just the the truth, I believe. Not all, but certainly many people of faith are. And so, you know, that does something to you. Like you said, like, once you feel like, wow, I am on the fringes, and wow, there are people that view me as a freak, you can't go back to how things were, you know, you can't unhear and unsee some of the things that we see and hear. And so, you know, that's what, that's where I've been now is trying to figure out where do I fit in the church at large? You know, I think there's really two different things. I think, you know, Jesus Christ's church is, looks fairly different from the American evangelical church. You know, that's what I'm seeing now is we've just got a lot of things that say church on them that act nothing and talk nothing like Jesus. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of us sort of in this uh, little bit of a purgatory or wilderness, whatever you want to call it, where, 
you know, our faith is intact. We still believe in Jesus. We still claim Christ. We have been changed in some way by him and by, you know, the Bible, but we're just not sure where we fit into this whole big, you know, ecosystem. And so I think that's, that's where I am, to be honest now, is I just, I don't really know where I fit because I, I'm, I, I would not be accepted. Me and my husband would not be accepted or welcome in lots of churchy entities. Yeah. Uh, I like that you um, talk about this question of like, where do I fit in the church? Because that's really how this podcast um, came about was me trying to like wrangle a space in the church for myself, um, which I know sounds really odd to a lot of people who know that um, I'm a pastor's wife. My wife is a pastor and I am still sitting here wondering like, how in the world can I fit in um, to this church? So I, I think that's really important um, that you you talked about that for sure. And I think you're right. A lot of people who have in some way been hurt or um, silenced in the church um, really are in this space of um, still having faith, still believing in God, still uh, having a relationship with God, if that's um, their language, but can't figure out where to come into church. Um, and I think that's, that's a big thing that um, we really need to work yeah. around um, for sure. But I, I just, I appreciate you bringing that up um, because that's definitely really where this podcast is living, um, yeah, at least what, right now. I, I love it. I think that's fantastic. One more little thought there, Bailey, is, you know, I have been in this zone, you know, for years now of question, doing what you're doing, which is questioning, where do I belong? How do I belong? What do we do next? And I've really started to see, I think that's the wrong question, you know, staring at a big, fat, broken system and trying to figure out how I can integrate and fit into that broken system will, is maddening. It'll make you lose your mind. And so, you know, what I'm, what I'm looking and thinking through now is what does it look like to begin to rebuild church? which of course that sounds heretical to those, you know, on the mainstream, but you know, Jesus is going to do his thing. God's going to build his church. We know that no matter what happens. And so, uh, you know, I'm excited about, I think the next phase, I think we're in sort of a transition time now, but I think the next phase of all this conversation is, you know, what does it look like to stop looking at that old broken structure and begging for validation and instead building something brand new and building something that's beautiful and no longer wringing our hands over the fact that we have been kicked out of this establishment. So I know that's easier said than done. And there are many days when I don't feel that way, but that is where I sense this whole thing is heading. Yeah, I, I hope so. And I mean, I see it already happening. I think there's a lot of um, queer people who are doing like house churches or they're doing church plans. Right. Like people, people are doing it because you're right. Like it's, um, it's, annoying I guess I can't think of a stronger word than that to like stand there and keep asking to be let in when we're not being accepted like we may as well you know God isn't just in certain churches we may as well go and do our own work um that God has called us to so um yeah I totally agree with you I love that um I do want to kind of move into talking about harbor um, your new project that you just came out with this year, right? You came out with it this uh, year. Technically the end of 2017, but uh, okay. but yeah, it's still still rocking. 
Okay, great. Um, so I, I want to talk about this. So for all of our listeners, uh, BT's new project, Harbor, is an online support program for Christian parents of LGBT kids um, or children, I guess. It could be adult children. Um, I have such a passion for this, um, to be really real with everyone. Like, I am still working through this with my own parents. So I am so thankful for this program that you're putting together. Um, and I'd love for you to talk to us a little bit about why you decided to focus on parents for this next project. I mean, you did Blue Babies Pink, and that was, I mean, about you and the, the queer community and coming out. And then you completely switched over to parents. Um, I would love for you to talk to us a little bit about why you chose to do that. Yeah, a couple of reasons. You know, the, really the first reason was I get very exhausted by the online debates and fights and arguments around the theology of homosexuality. Um, you know, Bailey, you've seen it. We've all seen it. It's been happening for, you know, 20, 30 years now. The church is just ripping itself apart over this topic. Now that the Internet is so pervasive, you know, there are just so many corners of the Internet that are just filled with Christians fighting each other and casting aspersions and hating each other. And I just am a big believer in protecting your own emotional health. And for me, it's not emotionally healthy to jump into those fights and to try to prove something. And I'm also a believer that, you know, I am not out trying to earn justification from anybody, you know, the church, you know, certain uh, religious tribes within Christianity. I just could care less about getting a pat on the back from any of those folks. And so, but at the same time, I'm sort of tempted to jump into that because I do have mm -hmm. strong feelings about it. And so for me, I just kind of, I, I said, you know, Brett, what's a way that you can redirect your focus into a healthy way? Still, you know, stay in this conversation, but how can you be doing work and creating content and thoughts for people who it actually affects? And so that really brought my mind to all the different emails and messages I've received since Blue Babies Pink came out from Christian LGBT kids emailing and messaging me about how they are terrified to talk to their parents. They're terrified to come out to their parents or their parents kicked them out of the house or they said something terrible. They're not coming to their wedding, which is very, all that stuff's very common. And also getting messages from those parents, you know, parents who don't understand their child or they're angry at their child or they think their child is going to go to hell. And so I really just said, all right, how can I help in maybe a small way in this particular relationship, the child and the parent. And it's very personal to me because my mom is of the, you know, sort of the traditional viewpoint. She believes that, you know, God only can bless a traditional heterosexual marriage and I am married to a man. So that obviously uh, has, has taken years for us to get to a healthy place there. Uh, you know, and for many years we were not in a healthy place. We did fight and we sent each other nasty emails and we were both trying to convince the other that, you know, they were wrong. And mm -hmm. what I found was we really got to a really close to the brink of our relationship totally imploding which is a scary thought because I'm like, it's my mom. You know, my dad is deceased. So I'm like, this is my only parent. And I've always loved my mom. We've always had a good relationship. And yet here we were right on the edge of, you know, where I was just ready to walk away and to say, you know what? I don't have a mom anymore. And once I got to that point, I realized how wrong that was, how toxic that was. And I realized something had to change. And so we began to reforge our relationship and to try to figure out, all right, how do we make this work? Neither one of us are budgeting. Um, neither one of us are going to give, but we've got to figure out a way to make this work because life is too short and you only get one mom and you only get one son. 
And so we did, we began to figure it out and we came to a healthy place to the point now where, you know, my mom, though she's still of that traditional theological mindset, you know, she came to my wedding. Uh, she loves my husband. She's, you know, uh, supportive of us. And she loves the fact that we're happy. And, um, but, you know, that's taken work on both of our parts to get there. I've had to give her the grace to, to not be totally in agreement of us and to not validate our relationship, which I wish she would, but she's not going to. I've had to give her the space to do that. At the same time, she's had to give me the space, you know, to get married and to live my life as I see fit in a way that I think is honoring to God. We deeply disagree but, you know, one thing I've learned through this is that it's possible to love people you deeply disagree with, but it takes work and it takes commitment and it takes grace. Because if, if you're just going to get mad and throw your hands up and say, screw you, it's not going to work. And, and, and that can come from either party, the, you know, the mom, the child or the parent. So to answer your question, Harbor is, uh, is sort of my uh, contribution in a very small way to those who, who, want, to, who want to kind of access that. Uh, way of thinking. And so uh, it's an online support group for parents. We've got about 300 parents in the group right now. Uh, it's a paid program, sort of a one-time fee. So we've got workshop video content where we talk through all these principles. We've got PDFs and eBooks. And then the, really the, the, the best piece I think is uh, the online support group. It's a thick private Facebook group. And this is where we just keep our focus on, hey guys, how can you love, support, and understand your LGBTQ child better, no matter where they are, if they're dating, if they're married, if they're crazy, you know, whatever it may be, like, we're just focused on how can we offer and support to those kids. That's your best shot. If you want to have influence in your kid's life and you're a parent, you, you stand no chance if you get pissed off and you tell them they're going to go to hell and that they're no longer your child, right? I mean, like that does literally no good. All it does is devastate your child further. And so, so one thing I tell our parents is guys, I don't care how you feel about this, conservative, progressive, whatever it may be, you know, you've got one child and you've got one shot to get this right. And so let's, focus in on how can we love, support, and understand our children better. Yeah, I, I so appreciate you telling us a little bit more about your um, relationship with your mom. Um, I think that's so important. I mean, we have so many um, LGBTQ um, people who are influencing um, the theology and the theological conversations people are having. And um, I see a lot of, yeah, it was really hard in the beginning, but now my parents are completely affirming and they went to me, they went with me to pride. Yeah, like, I, right. I just see, I see so much of that. And, and just like you, I, I can't see my parents ever going to pride with me or coming around completely to my theological point of view and um I love that you are able to say we deeply disagree but I love her and she loves me and we're gonna make it work um that's it. yeah I mean I, I just think that's so powerful um and I really I really appreciate you telling us um a little bit about that um so I'm wondering in your experience here of working through um, really hard, but probably also really impactful conversations with these Harbor parents. Um, what has been one uh, thing that you have learned or something that has been really impactful or maybe something that's really surprising that you have learned working with uh, the parents who are in your Harbor online support group? 
Well, you know, I've done a lot of surveys as well with a bigger sample size other than my harbor parents with uh, about, I think it was about a thousand parents of LGBT kids filled out a, a questionnaire that I did in 2017. And that was extremely revealing. You know, the two primary emotions that parents feel when their child comes out is fear and worry. And so, you know, when someone gets besieged with a heavy dose of fear and a heavy dose of worry, you know, different parts of their brain are activated. And that's, that's why and, you know, how parents sometimes say really terrible things to their kids. Because when you're scared and filled with worry, you're not thinking clearly. And you do say things that you're going to regret. And so, you know, that's really the initial phase of this process as parents just get deluged with fear and worry. And so, uh, you know, that's where I think it's, you know, for a lot of parents, it's about a 10-year process, to be honest, which is, you know, LGBTQ people don't want to hear that because we want our parents to get it together quicker than that. But, you know, for a lot of parents, it has literally taken them a decade to work through that fear, work through that worry, and to get to a place of peace. Like you said earlier, you know, some parents are going to come over fully affirming, and they're going to be marching down the streets with a rainbow flag and their child. That happens to tons of parents, even those on the more conservative side of things. But a lot don't get there. You know, a lot get to the place where my mom is, which is, uh, you know, we disagree, but we do it in love. And we don't sit around and talk about how we disagree. We focus on what we agree on. We focus on our relationship. And so I think, yeah, that was surprising, that sort of being the initial reaction. But I think what's more surprising is, you know, once parents can get into some kind of community, you know, parents feel so alone in this whole thing. You know, if you're a parent of a gay child in Omaha, Nebraska, and you go to a small Methodist or Baptist church, you know, the odds that you know of another parent with a gay child are pretty small. The odds that you feel comfortable talking to your pastor about this is very small because it's scary and you feel like you're going to be judged. And so, you know, I'm just a big believer. Humans need community. Humans need people in their lives to get through anything that's tough. And so what happens when a child comes out is oftentimes a parent or the parents feel totally alone. They feel like they've got no one to talk to. Uh, they feel like they're the only ones in the world dealing with this, which of course they're not. There's thousands and thousands of other parents going through the same thing. So this is obviously the, the beauty of the internet is now there are some incredible support groups out there. Harbor, the one that I run is one of them, but there are others that are bigger and better and amazing and offer incredible support. And so I think that's what's most surprising is watching uh, the transformation that happens just when a parent steps into community and they come out of the shadows. You know, I had one parent tell me, he said, you know, BT, when our daughter came out of the closet, we went into the closet. <laughs> You know, so it's they actually begin their own journey of hiding something. And so what I'm trying to do with Harbor and other groups are as well is we're trying to coax those parents. Hey, come on out. <laughs> You're in the closet. Come on out. You're going to survive. We can do this. Let's talk about it. Let's get into community. Let's have some conversations. And so that's it. I think community is the is the ultimate uh, equalizer in helping parents get through this. Yeah. And, you know, as you were um, talking about that, I was thinking you know, I, I have not thought about um, how important community is for the parents. I mean, of course, we all know that LGBTQ people, when they come out, really need, or when they, I'm talking, like, I'm not one of them, when we come <laughs> out, um, <laughs> we really need a lot of um, community and a lot of support. And we don't see that for the parents. Like, you're yeah. absolutely right. There are a ton of online uh forums forums is it it's it's not 2007 um <laughs> online you know what you mean 
Yes, thank you. Online communities um, for LGBTQ people, but not a lot for the parents. Um, so I, I like that you, and like you pointed out, other people are really focusing um, your time and energy on that community of people. I think that's really, really important um, if we uh, are going to move forward um, at all. So, okay, as we uh, kind of head into wrapping up this conversation, um, I have noticed in progressive Christian circles, um, we talk a lot about affirming theology and non-affirming theology and how to make our churches more welcoming to the LGBTQ community. Um, what I don't hear much of is how to make our churches um, more supportive and accessible for the parents. I mean, there's, you're right, like parents don't feel comfortable going to their pastors to talk about their kid who just came out. Um, they don't have peers like who are in that same um, time of life, that same experience with them. Um, and something that I keep hearing over and over again is that if, if a parent does not fully affirm their queer kid, they are automatically either spiritually abusing their kid or they're just downright like evil, like they're letting hate overrule love. Um, and that's, that's been something that's really hard for me to hear because as an LGBTQ person whose parents are not fully affirming, um, like I, I don't want to think, my parents are not abusive. I'm not going to sit there and say that. Um, so I think that this is a really highly unfair belief uh, to hold. And I do think it really pushes parents and their kids further apart rather than closer. Um, so we've been talking a lot about Harbor and how the community kind of supports the parents of LGBTQ children. But I'm wondering how our churches, um, or maybe just us as a community, how we can better support Christian parents of LGBTQ children, regardless of the parents' faith-based beliefs, regardless of whether they're affirming or still discerning or completely non-affirming, how we can better support them. Well, Bailey, I would agree with the point you made earlier. I also, uh, I despise this idea that, you know, if your parents don't fully validate you, they're being spiritually abusive or they don't love you. I, you know, I just think that's ridiculous. That is a narrative that has entrenched itself in some progressive, progressive Christian circles. Um, I think it's toxic. I think it's unhelpful. Because as you know, like, and I mean, you sound like you're, I don't know your parents, but your parents are probably like my mom. Like, does she fundamentally disagree with quote unquote, my gay lifestyle? Yes. But I don't doubt that she loves me. Like she does love me. She's always loved me. Like there's never been a moment where I've questioned my mom's love. And again, I'm just speaking for myself. There may be kids out there whose parents don't love them or don't show them love and obviously have a ton of compassion for that. But you know, that's why that belief just, I reject it because I personally know that's not true. That is, it is possible to disagree with someone on something as foundational as sexuality and to still have a relationship and to still feel loved by that person. So I think that's one point. I think another point is that, you know, to your question, how do churches, how can we support parents better? Well, you know, that's what I would kind of consider a micro problem that is connected to a macro problem. So the big macro problem is that our churches in general our conservative churches are just not dealing with this topic well. 
uh, you know, the issue of sexuality, homosexuality has become so weaponized and it's become a purity test of theology, meaning if you don't come out as a church, as a pastor, as a church staff member, as, you know, non-affirming or as traditional, you know, then you are rejected. You're out of the tribe and we kick you out. And so as long as that toxic system is still in place, then this is still an unsafe topic to talk about in any capacity in church. And so this is why most of your churches, I'd say 99% of your churches in America don't have any kind of support group, ministry, whatever you want to call it, for parents of LGBTQ kids, um, which is incredibly tragic because these are parents who need support, they need love, they need the church to come around them and kind of help them work this thing out. Now, with that said, I can, you know, I do know of one church here in Atlanta that has a fantastic support group. You know, they meet probably once a month. They've got someone on staff who helps lead this group. And, um, and it's incredibly helpful for those parents to sit in a room once a month with, you know, 20 or 30 other parents of LGBTQ kids and to work it out. And, you know, in my mind, that's a heck of a lot more effective and helpful even than an online support group, obviously, face to face. And so, you know, yeah, I think that would be my answer is how can churches, um, just start supporting these parents. And to be honest, I think what's so frustrating is that's not a theological position. You know, it's like every church, no matter how conservative or traditional, still have to have some kind of group that is supportive of parents because it's not theological to, you know, or anti-theological to just say, hey, we're going to create a space for parents to get support and to at least talk this thing out. So I think that would be my, my thought is how can we create uh, safe spaces for lack of a better term for parents. Yeah. And you bring up such a good point um, that I had not thought about is that it doesn't necessarily have to be um, let's create this place so we can all get together and talk about how to change our theology to affirm exactly. our kid. It could, it definitely could just be, Hey, let's all get together and talk about how hard this is. Absolutely. And would do so much good. I had not thought about it um, that way. And you're right. I think that that would be such an impactful uh, thing for parents rather than just staying quiet to just have somewhere to go and say anything that they're yeah. feeling. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's, and it's, yeah, it's, it's quite simple. It's remarkable how <laughs> simple that would be. But again, because the topic is so filled with fear and there's so much taboo around it, I think, to be honest, that's what prevents churches from being able to to go there. And it's it's really, really tragic, in my opinion. Yeah. Yep. We definitely need to do um, a lot of work uh, globally in the church around um, this LGBTQ, quote unquote, issue um, <laughs> that we that we have. Um, all right. Well, um, thank you so much for being here on the podcast. We had... Um, such a great conversation. I mean, I appreciate everything you had to say, especially about uh, Christian parents. I think that that's really going to uh, bless a lot of people who are going to be listening to this, who are trying to figure out their theology um, around LGBTQ relationships. Um, so before you go, tell everybody where they can find you and connect with you. Um, if you want to tell them about Harbor, let everybody know where they can find you. Yeah, I would say if you've not um, read or listened to the story of Blue Babies Pink, I would definitely direct you to bluebabiespink.com. And from there, you can begin working your way through the story. 
either by reading it or you can, uh, there's a link there. It'll take you over to the podcast. Just type that in any, whatever podcast app, it'll pop up. So I definitely say start there. Uh, if you want to learn more about kind of the work that I do professionally and personally, you can go to my personal website, btharmon.com. That's Harmon with two A's and there's information there. And then finally, if you are a parent and are interested in Harbor, you can go to harborhere.com. And uh, we only do enrollment a few times a year, but if you go to the site, you can read all about it and then put your email in and you'll get an email from me whenever enrollment opens. So, um, but Bailey, I'm really thankful. Appreciate you having me on. I love what you're doing with this podcast and I just encourage you to keep it up. We need more people out there, you know, engaging this conversation because it's a really tough one. Oh, well, thank you so much. All right. Well, have a great night. Thanks so much for being here. You too. Thanks, Bailey. Thanks. Bye. Well, if that was not the most loving, compassionate, grace-filled advice from BT about how to get along with and even be in relationship with people who think and believe differently than we do. I learned so much from him. I hope you guys did too. Like he said, go ahead and find him. There's a couple of different places depending on what you're looking for. So if you just want to touch base with BT, go ahead and head over to btharmon.com. Now, if you are interested in his story, which I hope you are, it is amazing. Head over to bluebabiespink.com or you can listen to it in your podcast app. Just search Blue Babies Pink. It'll come up. He's everywhere. Now, if you or you know someone who is interested in his program, Harbor, about uh, Christian parents of LGBTQ kids, I would really encourage you to head over to harborhere.com. It is a beautiful site. You can learn a little bit more about the program, about BT, and then just make sure to enter in your email address there. As soon as registration becomes available, he will shoot you an email and you can get in uh, to that program I know that it is blessing a ton of people already, um, and I hope if, if you or someone you know is interested, that you guys are able to get in there uh, and learn some more from BT. Okay, friends, one last thing here before I sign off. If this podcast is encouraging you or positively impacting you in any way, please take a few seconds to hit that subscribe button and leave a review. That really helps new listeners find this content. And if it is good for you, I hope it will be good for others who find us along the way. Of course, you can always connect with me as well on my website, baileyjoewelch.com and on Instagram and Twitter at baileyjoewelch. Now, once you get there, either to my website or my Instagram or Twitter page, you will notice that it does say Bailey Welch Pomerantz because I did just get married in November, but I am going to go ahead and leave the handles in the actual web address as Bailey Joe Welch so you guys can find me a little bit easier. All right, guys, I'll see you next week.